The Daily Tap is live for Tuesday. We are going to talk about the Brewers' hype. Will they live up to it? The intimidation of dealing with the hype, how other teams have handled it here in the state of Wisconsin, and what we think about the Brewers overall. We're going to also talk about Brandon Cooks and why he actually might be worth a second-round pick. We'll get into that is topic number two. Topic three, we will talk Chuck's Corner, which we'll talk about the NCAA tournament. Uh, we will recap the Kansas comeback, Rock Chalk comeback, major miss by Jim Nance, by the way. Um, congrats to Shannon as well, taking home, tapping the keg madness, as well as Kyle, second place, James, third place. Everybody's been paid out besides a podcast appearance. Shannon's going to join us, I think, next week with Mitch, uh, so we'll stay tuned for that. Congrats again to him and everybody else for participating. We had a great response this year. So, yes, that will be today's show. I might do a little bit about the gym at the very, very end, like true Chuck's Corner, talking about something absolutely unrelated to sports. But we'll see if time permits. Uh, feel free. Before we do that, though, um, you got to follow us on social media. All right? Like, you, you just got to. Okay? Tapping the Keg on Twitter. Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, you don't have to do it on all of them. I don't. I'm not asking for everything, but at least can we get two. If you're if you're a loyal listener, you should at least be following us on two platforms. So pick your platforms. We appreciate all the love, all the support as always. If you're new to the program, you listen to us for whatever reason, found us through a hashtag. Uh, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you've already been subscribed and you're already following us on social media, the last thing you got to do is rate or review us. Okay, enough begging. Let's talk about the Milwaukee Brewers. Power rankings are a thing that come out before a season starts. It's just natural. It's immediate clicks. It's immediate likes. It's immediate comments. Hey, my team's ranked too low. My team's ranked too high or better believe in X, Y, and Z team or keep that same energy when we are top of the M- top of the NL. Now, I don't think there's a lot of shit talking that goes on with baseball, occasional teams, right? People who care a lot, the Cardinals fans, right? Um, by the way, Albert Pujols leaving his wife after a brain tumor five days later, nice guy, Cardinal way. I mean, that's exactly what you come to expect with the Cardinals and their scumbag organization. But <laughs> besides the point, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers found themselves on the top five. Not just top 10, the top five. The Brewers were number four in the MLB power rankings uh, behind the Toronto Blue Jays, the Chicago White Sox, and of course, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And that is from MLB.com. Now, I didn't do a culmination of the power rankings because I felt like number four was enough hype to be like, holy shit. Granted, it's one man's opinion, but everybody does think the Brewers are going to be pretty good. I think the Brewers were minus 150 to win the NL earlier in the month. I think they have now moved to minus 200 to win the NL Central. They are the clear favorite in the National League Central to win that division and to do something special this season. I think a lot of people think the Brewers could be the David to the Dodgers' Goliath. And the question is, will the Brewers have enough to keep up with the Dodgers in a seven-game series. And that is a topic for us in October if the Brewers do find themselves there. Now, people are claiming disrespect for the Atlanta Braves, and I, I think that is a little fair. I think the Braves should be right up there. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with that because I think Matt Wilson's actually going to be an upgrade over Freddie Freeman. 
I don't necessarily know why the Braves are a little bit lower than they should be. Um, another team, too, that I think you keep an eye on is the Padres. Even without Tatis, they have a lot of dudes. And they added Sean Mania, which I thought was a good move. I don't think that was on accident either. They're, his manager uh, last year was Bob Melvin, who's now taking over the Padres. I think Bob Melvin you know, ha- is a very good manager. And I think that will help the Padres, push the Padres forward. So I don't know. I'm not saying that I'm not shitting on the Brewers per se, but I'm do I am saying that there are other teams that could compete with the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are the new evil empire. I don't know if you can call them the evil empire because that's always the Yankees, but they are something of evil because they are so everything that you hate about a large market team, especially playing in little old Milwaukee. But can the Brewers, in fact, live up to the hype? Can the Brewers win? anywhere from 95 to 105 games this season and be right there with the Dodgers when it comes to the best record in baseball. The Brewers have never won 100 games in their, I wouldn't say illustrious franchise, I was about to say illustrious franchise, but in their franchise history, uh, they have not won 100 games. That has not never been an accomplishment that the Brewers have achieved. Now, I will say I think that is kind of motivation for this team. They know this team's good. Mark Ananasio felt seemed very confident, felt very confident in his team, you know, when meeting with the media a couple weeks ago. The Brewers know that they have something brewing here. I realize the cheap pun, but it's definitely true. They have talent up and down the lineup as well as the pitching rotation. And they know that if Yelich and Hera or one or the other get a little offense going that the Brewers could be really special. They understand additions like Andrew McCutcheon, Hunter Renfro can add more to what the Brewers are trying to do. The potential of Tyrone Taylor is very exciting. Omar Narvaez really showed something last year and developed as a catcher. There's no nothing that says he can't have a similar year. Luis Urias, I think everybody's high on for good reason. Yes, there is maybe a concern that Willie Adamas goes into a sophomore slump because teams have seen him now and he might not be as good as he was in the past. Sure, those are all potential worries. And yes, with pitchers, there's always a concern of a major arm injury. The Brewers, knock on wood, have not necessarily dealt with that like other teams. I think they have a very special training staff that figures out when these guys are right and when these guys are wrong, and they do a really good job of load managing all of these dudes, even if it drives us crazy that Corbin Burns is getting taken out of Game 5 or that Corbin Burns did not pitch Game 5 of the NLCS, or a game four, excuse me, against the Atlanta Braves, and the Braves ended up winning. I realize that drove a lot of people nuts, but I think in the long run, I would rather have Corbin Burns for a full season than him blow out his arm. And the Brewers obviously did not think they, think of themselves as a World Series contender, which you can say that's the fetus mentality. You can say this, that, and the other, fine. But I think the Brewers do as good of a job protecting arms as anybody in baseball. They don't get enough credit for that, but they have had very little arm arm injury issues. Now, is some of that maybe the guys they have? Sure. But they've done a really good job with it. And even if they do have a guy go down this year or someone significantly hurt, like let's, I don't know, let's say Woodruff has a strained bicep and he's out for two to three months. You have Aaron Ashby that can fill in. And if Aaron Ashby doesn't work, you have Ethan Small. So you have other guys that could potentially step up and be something. And I 
I think that makes the Brewers even stronger. They have a really good bullpen with Josh Hader and Devin Williams. Devin Williams looks like he hasn't missed the beat. I think there's going to be pressure on Devin Williams. I think people are going to want Devin Williams to produce early on, given what happened at the end of last year. I think if you were to say who has the most pressure on him to start the year, I think it's Christian Yelich and Devin Williams in no real order, but those two guys are going to feel a lot of the heat. That said, I don't worry about Devin Williams and the pressure. He's done well in this situation. He had an immature misstep that we all have had in our life. I don't, I think we can forgive what happened to Devin Williams. And while it's unfortunate and while he needs to be smarter in the long run, I think we've all done dumb shit in our life. So to punish him for that in this season is fucking ridiculous. But fans are going to fan. And I know that there will be Brewer fans that are up Williams' ass if he struggles early on. So the Brewers have all the makings to live up to the hype. I think there is nothing that's holding this team back. There's nothing that I look at and say, well, if this goes wrong, it could be a complete disaster for the Brewers. They have everything in front of them. They have a weak division. They have a ton of talent in both the lineup as well as the pitching staff. There's no reason that the Brewers shouldn't be a top team in the National League. Now that said... I don't think we can overreact too much if the Brewers start off slow. I do agree with the thesis of Tim Allen that game one is as important as game 162, as ridiculous as it sounds, but we can't get too bent out of shape if the Brewers are 500 to start the year. They're going to have, you know, bad months. They're not, well, not bad months, but they're, they're going to have average months. They're going to have months that aren't as strong. If you want to keep on a 100-win pace, you probably have to win around 20 games. Now, some year, some months you're going to have more than that. Some months you're going to have a little bit less. So I'm not concerned as long as the Brewers aren't having a consistent pattern for why they're losing games. If the Brewers have a consistent pattern why they're losing games, then that becomes a concern, right? It's just like the Bucks with the third quarter issues. It's like the Packers with the special teams issues. Although I, I don't think the special teams ever cost the Packers a game in the regular season, but it was something that always loomed, let's just say, about what could go wrong for the Packers. So it could be a situation like that, right? The Brewers are escaping at their skin of their teeth, but their middle relief completely sucks. And you're like, wow, they have to fix that. The good news about baseball versus football is you have a lot of time to fix. The question is, is will there be the any pressure on the Brewers? Will this will this change the Brewers at all? I think they're a pretty easygoing team. I think they like to have a lot of fun. I don't think these guys think too much about it or kind of ignore the noise. I think the pressure on them will get larger as the months go on. I think what helps is the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks are going to be a title contending team again. So Milwaukee's sort of interests are going to lean more to the Milwaukee Bucks than they are the Milwaukee Brewers for maybe the first two months, two and a half months of the season. So that's really good if you're if you're a a Bucks or a Brewers you know player because you don't have necessarily a fan base just expecting a ton. You can kind of lay in the weeds and then if you're getting hot right as the Bucks hopefully winning their second straight title, you're like, oh, hey, look at us. It's Title Town USA here, and we're going to win a championship too. And Christian Yelich is red hot, and he's ready to join Giannis Antetokounmpo back in the MVP circle. That, to me, would be the best case scenario for the Milwaukee Brewers. 
Now, it also could be disappointing if the Brewers are red hot to start and no one's necessarily paying attention because they're so focused on the Milwaukee Bucks. I think we can do both, but I understand that there are other people who do not have a podcast, do not do yell on their phones and do reviews. They have kids. They have other shit going on. So it's hard. they have to usually make space for one and not two. And also, I should add, a loving wife that, you know, lets them watch a lot of this sporting event. Some of them don't have that. Some of them are like, we have to watch another episode of Bridgerton while the Bucks and Bulls play tonight, you know, which actually might be me. And I might have to have my, I might have my, my, <laughs> the game on my phone, but still that's balance, man. You have to, you have to respect, you know, that you can't have the TV at all times. Most of the Wisconsin sports teams have lived up to hypes. That hype hasn't really bothered Wisconsin's professional teams. Uh, the Bucks have definitely had hype. And they've lived up to it. I don't really think, like you could say, this regular season was a disappointment by any means. Um, you know, as we head into the tail end of the season and we wrap up the year, I don't think the Bucks like didn't live up to the hype of a title defense. They're defending the title. They're ready to go. If the Bucks were in the playing game, I think then yeah, you'd be like, this is a massive disappointment, and you should have defended the title a little bit better. And why did it go wrong? I think the Bucks have always sort of lived up to the hype since they kind of arrived on the scene with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Green Bay Packers have lived up to the hype year in, year out. It is the worry of the playoffs, though. And the playoff hype the Packers have not lived up to, and that's, again, another story for another time. But the Brewers have had similar issues, right? They haven't, they've, they've made the playoffs a bunch, but they haven't been back to the NLCS since 2018. So can they get back there? And if they don't, then that'll be five years straight that the Brewers have been unable to get to the NLCS. As for the college teams, they haven't. You know, the Badger, whenever the Badgers are football team has a lot of hype around them and they're a top 10 team, top 15 team. That usually is when they lose in September. Usually things go off the rails. Wisconsin has not necessarily done the best job of sort of living in that hype. We did a podcast, I think, uh, maybe not last year, but two years ago about this and how it has, you know, wheels have fallen off for Wisconsin in the past when the hype has been too big. Actually, it was two it was three years ago. God, I'm getting old. You know, it's like you forget about the time and you forget about COVID and you're like, it was the 2019 year where Wisconsin was, I think, highly ranked. I think they were number four. People picking them to go to the national championship. And it just did not work, right? And Marquette has had a little bit of that hype stuff, but again, another team where when they've gotten real up, that they've kind of swooned. Now it's been mostly Wojo. I realize it happened again this year, but I think it was a little different with Shaka and the young guys. But so that's to say, like the hype can be there for the Brewers. I don't think the hype is going to bother this Brewers team. I think they are going to enjoy it. They're going to embrace it. And even though they might get a little bit ignored in the city of Milwaukee to start the year, that's probably okay with them. That, that allows for a little bit of slip-ups because maybe the eyeballs aren't fully locked in with the Brewers. But when they are locked in come July, I think the Brewers are going to be at the top of the NL or top of the NL Central and maybe top of the NL. Moving on to the Green Bay Packers and their pursuit of a potential wide receiver. It is a hot topic uh, in the Packer world. Uh, we haven't talked a lot about the Packers recently. Done a lot of bucks. Um, obviously opened with the Brewers. And the Green Bay Packers are still looking for a wide receiver. Whether that wide receiver is DK Metcalf. Whether that wide receiver is Mike Thomas. Whether that wide receiver is Brandon Cooks. Or it's two receivers in the draft. They are looking to rebuild that wide receiver room. 
Mark Murphy and Brian Gunacoust have both been open and said this receiver room is going to look a lot different next year. And I think I trust them. I think I believe that they are telling the truth, that they are going to revive and reshape what this receiver room looks like and put in pieces that Aaron Rodgers, A, thinks he will have a good relationship with, and B, work in Matt LaFleur's system. And if they don't have A or B, then they're not going to be part of the Green Bay Packers. We are not privy to all the details of what the Green Bay Packers are planning to do even though they're telling us that things will be different. And if they aren't different come September, Mark Murphy is going to be berated in the media. So will Brian Gunacus. But I believe them, like I said, and I think that's going to happen. And as mentioned, Brandon Cooks is one name that keeps circulating. He is you know, a Houston Texans wide receiver. He's been around the block for a few teams. He played for the Rams. He played for the New England Patriots. And according to Mike Fish, they are looking for a second rounder for Brandon Cooks. Now, I thought about this and I was like, fuck, that is a lot for Brandon Cooks. I was like, is Brandon Cooks really worth a second rounder? Isn't the guy injury? Doesn't the guy have concussion issues? And when you actually look at it, when you just look at his raw stats, like you don't look at any of the advanced metrics, you just look at the stats that God gives you that you see on that and everything else. Brandon Cooks is actually worth a second round pick in that. And that's crazy to me, but it's true. First of all, Devontae Parker went for a third in next year's draft by the New England Patriots. That's a lot for Devontae Parker, in my opinion. I would not have given a third round pick for Devontae Parker. To me, Devontae Parker is a guy who had one good year in a contract year. He feels more like a Bill Hall type than, than someone who is a consistent wide receiver. Brand, the problem with Brandon Cooks is he's not that sexy. He just is not. He might even be like the Chris Middleton of wide receivers. Like you look at him and you're like, okay, it's Brandon Cooks, but has he really done something? And actually he fucking has. Like he is really talented. He just doesn't catch a ton of touchdowns. And I think fantasy football pollutes our mind. I think we are, you know, always obsessed with guys who produce in fantasy. And we're like, that guy is incredible because he won me a fantasy championship. And we don't actually look at sometimes the statistics of what these guys are capable of. So the idea that Brandon Cooks is injury prone is false. He had two years at the beginning of his career where he missed a total of eight games. Actually, if you go to the first year with New Orleans, he missed more than that. Brandon Cooks was injury prone for the first three years. From 21 to 23, he missed a significant amount of time. Since that time, he has missed a grand total of three games. He didn't start one, but he's missed a grand total of three games. That's it. So then that's been the last five years for Brandon Cooks. He's only missed three games, all right? He has not had lower than 50 receptions only once. He had 42 uh, in the year against the Rams. But other than that, Brandon Cooks is pretty much consistently around 80 catches a game. Brandon Cooks has had over 1,000 yards six out of his eight years of playing in the NFL. And like we mentioned about touchdowns, he only has 46 for his career. His career high was nine touchdowns in 2015. Brandon Cooks has not accounted for seven or more since 2017. He is a steady receiver. He's a guy that can get it done. He's a guy that I think can be a reliable player for the Green Bay Packers. So to trade him for a second round pick 
would not be that outrageous. Now, would I think he's more of a second round late late guy? So using the Packers' original second round pick? Absolutely. I don't necessarily think he's worth trading the Raiders pick for. I would keep the Raiders pick and trade out of what the Packers have in the second round. Or I would trade in the third round and maybe throw in a fourth round instead and see if you can preserve that second rounder or give the Texans something next year to sort of wet their whistle and maybe drive down the price a little bit. But Brandon Cooks is definitely worth it. I just think he's a guy that a lot of people look at and say, I had him on a fantasy team. He didn't do well. And so fantasy is polluting sort of the mindset of why you might not want Brandon Cooks. But he is a reliable dude. He just is. Like, I I can't argue with the Packers if they say we're going to trade Brandon Cooks for a second round. There is a definite case to be made. And the guy is pretty quick. He has, you know, he's a speedy receiver who can take the top off the field. And now you could say, well, that might mean like a Will Fuller. It might mean a DK Metcalf. And yeah, Brandon Cooks is 28. So you worry, you know, the diminishing returns are going to settle in. But it's not necessarily, I think, something you worry about next season. 29 is not not all of a sudden going to mean your knees go. I think you at least have two more years of Brandon Cooks before you're really starting to see the rate of diminishing returns. As for the contract of Brandon Cooks, he's finishing out the contract he had with the Rams. Now, he got traded, obviously, to the Houston Texans. This next year is the last year of his deal, and it's $12.5 million. Now, there's some restructuring that can go on with Brandon Cooks, and maybe Brandon Cooks will take a pay cut. The Packers do have room for that Brandon Cooks, but he will be an unrestricted free agent next season if the Packers don't you know, restructure that deal for Cooks. Now, they definitely could and make a couple, bit, couple things of dead money, and make it happen for Cooks that he necessarily could be there for the next two years. I would be curious to see as to what Brian Gutekus does with that contract, but that's for Brian to decide if they decide to trade for Cooks. But $12.5 million is not necessarily an outrageous contract for at least a year. That's fine. I, I think the Baggers can deal with that, and they can make their magic happen with how they set up the contract if they want Cooks for two years, which might make sense with the Aaron Rodgers extension to kind of pair the two together. And if Rodgers feels like Cooks is a guy that he's comfortable with, I think it's all systems go. And I think Rodgers would be. I, I don't see why Cooks would be a guy that Rodgers would be like, nah, that's that's not necessarily for me. So I could see Brandon Cooks being a Packer. I really could. I think it makes more sense. I thought originally I was ready to rip it and be like, this makes absolutely no sense at all. But I think Brandon Cooks is a guy that can definitely be part of the Packers and a guy that is not necessarily, you know, uh, over the top. Not not going to be a guy that you're spending a first round pick on, which you would with DK Metcalf. I like DK. I like his contract. I like his attitude. I think he would be a lot of fun for the Green Bay Packers, but I, I just worry what's the next step with DK. It's like, you know, in business, when you do a test and it goes well and you're like, well, how do we scale it? Like, how do you scale D- DK Metcalf? Like, do you really give DK Metcalf a Devontae Adams like contract and you say, all right, he's the future of our wide receiver core and him and Aaron Rodgers are going to be sort of the next great duo? I guess that could be the case, but. It, it you, Again, you have other guys to take care of, right? You have to take care of Jair Alexander. You have to take care of Elton Jenkins. Like there are other guys on sort of 
the roster that are already needing contracts. So if you add DK Metcalf to the mix, he's just another guy for that. Where Brandon Cooks isn't necessarily that. It's a guy who you could have for two years, but you don't necessarily need to keep him after one. And you add a little speed, which is what Matt LaFleur is looking for. So I'm probably more on the side of Cooks than Metcalf. They're going to make a deal. As for the receivers in the draft, I'm starting to get a little bit nervous that we're going to be basically repeating last year. It's probably a full topic. It's maybe a topic I need to talk to Nolan Murphy on. We didn't necessarily do Billy Murph's draft board, by the way. Um, That was something I think we wanted to do this year. I think timing-wise, with now it being out of COVID, Murph also was injured last year. (laughs) He had torn his ACL, which I shouldn't laugh at, but I'm like, that's the whole reason we were able to do it is because Murph was laid up. Um, So he isn't anymore. Maybe him and I will work on something closer to the draft and give you sort of an idea of players that Murph's thinking about, and him and I can maybe concept and come up with an idea for the last couple weeks of the NFL draft season. But it does seem like receivers are going high. I saw a pro football focus mock that had the Packers taking Christian Watson at 22, which you're like, whoa, that's a fucking reach. But he basically had all the receivers already taken. Like all of them had been spoken for. He had uh, Alave gone. Uh, Garrett Wilson was gone. Jamison Williams was gone at 22. And Alave and Wilson are both meeting with the New York Jets who are picking number 10. He had an interesting idea that the Bears would trade back in to get Olave to pair him up with Justin Fields as they had a great relationship in college. While I I would hate that for us as Packer fans, I don't hate that for the Bears. I actually think that is a really smart idea, but I also think the Bears need to keep all their picks because they need a lot of talent on that roster. The Bears kind of need to reshape and retool what the Bears look like in terms of getting ready for next season. Like right now, Chicago to me is a five or ten six win team. I don't think adding Olave makes them a playoff team by any shape of the word. So we'll see if the receivers, you know, there is a run on them or if we're going to see, you know, basically the Packers have their pick at 22. They have Jameson Williams. They have Christian Watson. They have, you know, maybe Alave or Wilson, but I don't even think Alave or Wilson is going to be past 15. And I don't think the Packers want to move up that far. The question will be is, will Green Bay move up? And I I do think they're going to. I think they're not going to let themselves get burned again like they did with Justin Jefferson. I think they're going to try to avoid that as much as possible. I think that is the whole reason the Devontae thing happened. I think there is a plan in place. I think that Gunacus looks at what happened with Justin Jefferson and is like, I don't want this to happen again. And they think they can get their own version of Justin Jefferson in this draft. Who that is, I don't know. But I do know that they they think that because that to me has been the plan all along. Remember, you can go back in my archives before Devontae was traded and I said, it's like, hey, let me throw something out. Could you trade trade and get a first rounder and basically do what the Vikings did with Stephon Diggs? And it's it looked more and more like that. And the question is, will the Packers actually do it now? That's, that's the key thing because you've seen this before with the Packers where you're like, okay, they have to draft a wide receiver and then they don't. So we'll see. It'll be very fascinating to see what the Packers do uh, as we get closer and closer to the draft, which we are two weeks away from. Crazy. Wrapping up with Chuck's Corner. So like I said, uh, the NCAA tournament happened yesterday. The Kansas Jayhawks came back from the death. Uh, They were down 40 to 25 at halftime. It was the largest comeback in national championship game history. Uh, It's something that I think will stick with Carolina. 
I think Carolina ran out of gas. So I know they got kind of banged up, and I know Caleb Love was really bad. But what I think happened with Carolina was similar to a team on a back-to-back. We see this a lot in the NBA, right, where a team starts really hot. They they get going. They're feeling good. Like in that the back-to-back sort of is, you know, basically reviving, and your legs are fresh, and you're, like, ready to go. I think the vibes of Saturday of beating Duke were there in the first half. I think they were just like, we're playing Duke still. Like, this is nothing. We're feeling good. We're feeling great. And we're necessarily, you know, going to be able to sort of counter whatever Kansas throws at us. And we're going to be the champions. And we are going to go out on top. And then halftime happened. A reset happened. Kansas got time to adjust. Bill South made some great adjustments. Really started pushing the tempo on North Carolina. And as a team who played a lot of intense games down the stretch, they were unable to sort of match that energy. They were unable to really match that pace. And Kansas took control. Even though Carolina tried their best to counter back, they necessarily had more of the young coach issues and had, you know, Hubert Davis, who was playing six guys, Puff Johnson puking. You needed to take Caleb Love out of that game at some point. You just had to. Like, I don't know what Carolina has in their backcourt, but you had to spell Caleb Love for at least a minute, two minutes. I understand that Mitch Lightfoot is a good example of this. He spelled David McCormick and Baycott went to work because Lightfoot's not a good... Lightfoot was, you know, too light to play in this game. Like, he could not be in this. But at the same time, you gave McCormick that breather. You gave McCormick a quick blow to just sort of get him reset and refocus for the tail, the stretch. They needed to do that with Caleb Love. And maybe Caleb Love injury was one of those where he's like, coach, I can't sit. Like if I sit, like it's going to tighten up and I just can't do it. If that's the case, then okay. But still, you need to tell Caleb Love at some point not to shoot. And while Caleb Love has been an irrational confidence guy and had the irrational confidence has helped Carolina win up to that point, it, it comes back to bite you. That's the problem with the rational confidence dudes. They can absolutely win you a game, but they can absolutely lose you one as well. And as my buddies were saying in the group chat, he had a lot of Westbrook in him last night. Like there was a lot of Westbrook vibes and Caleb Love could have had Brady Manic in the corner to go to overtime. Now, I, I do want to also mention, I said this on Twitter, but it's worth repeating. I love the fact that Bill Self did not foul there. I know we are all saying, what are you doing? How? Why wouldn't you follow up three? I, look, I disagree. So think about this for a second. Now, I'm not a huge advocate of not following on three. If you remember, I killed Shaka Smart in the beginning of January for not following on three. I think following on three makes sense in a lot of ways. But North Carolina had, had 20, 20 offensive rebounds in this game. 20, okay? So they had been a beast on the glass. North Carolina also, you know, was dead. They were dead tired. They were absolutely run to shit. Like, they they had ankles. Like, it was bad, right? Baycott, you know, sprains his ankle and probably couldn't have went in the overtime. Like, his ankle was completely fucked. Now, there's this weird floorboard thing that has become a conspiracy, which I don't know if it's true or not. It's become sort of that, like, classic... You know, as we do with every game, I swear. So we have one video where we're like, well, if this didn't happen, you know, things would have been totally different. You know, it's whatever. Go fuck yourself. Like, I don't know. I'm just so over that phase of 
of how we live on the internet. That to me is just too deep into the internet. So going back to why you don't follow on three. So you don't have Baycott. You have a tired ass team. You have Puff Johnson puking. Like if they hit a three, they're probably going to get wiped in overtime. They just are. Like to me, Carolina might have a little bit of momentum, but it's not like Caleb Love was all of a sudden starting to feel it. Like if Caleb Love had hit like two threes down the stretch, then I'm probably saying don't foul. Then I'm saying foul. Then I'm saying like you do not want to take this risk. Like don't risk, you know, Caleb Love making this shot. Like you cannot sort of risk that. And I think they I think they did the right thing. They did the right thing not following. Obviously, it worked out for them. So they're like, of course, Charlie, you're gonna feel that way. But seriously, I I don't look at that and say they they made the wrong choice. They made the right one. They didn't need to follow in that situation. And credit to Bill Self. He made he made the right call. They didn't cover. That sucks. Vegas made a fucking killing probably last night. I haven't seen. But the fact is, is they didn't get a Kansas cover. The money line for North Carolina didn't hit. People who were betting the money line might not have bet North Carolina plus four, which I think you'd be dumb not to. A lot of people were over, were on the over, went under. Um, it, it was probably a very, very good day for Vegas. Um, and they didn't get a large guy winning most value, most or mo- most outstanding. It's not most valuable, most outstanding player. I mean, it should have been David McCormick. Some of us might have had David McCormick plus 900, 9 to 1, no big deal. Um, and not that it matters because he didn't win, but he should have won. And the fact that OG Ananobi won, not a, a jobby, I did his pronunciation and another thing I'm doing for social, OG Ochai Ajabi. Um, that's one that it, he, I would love him on the Bucks, but it would be a fucking battlefield to try to keep pronouncing that name. Uh, Ajabi, I mean, he played well throughout the tournament, but this is like giving Kobe Bryant the MV, the Finals MVP when he went six for fucking twenty four. Like you can't necessarily give it to him when he didn't play well in the last game, in the game that mattered the most. Like, how is it not McCormick? McCormick finished strong to end the year. He like he had a big moment in that Miami game. Like, I don't know. I would give it to McCormick, who was a fat boy for a while, lost a bunch of weight. He's now down to 250. Looks great. So uh, definitely motivation, you know, as someone who has been entering the gym. I'm not going to do my gym story. I got to get going. Um, I usually like, wow, that's a perfect transition. It is. All I'll say, I'll just say very quickly. If you're fucking rowing 100 pounds, like, just go home. Like, what are you doing? Like, who needs to row 100 pounds? In, in free weights like that just ultimate hard oh there's a guy too who was like doing curls right by my free my freeway bench like i'm like again like is there any decorum here like what are we doing why are we we curl i, I have no problem curling 20 pounds it's a little light from what i would say but hey do you right like you're you're getting in there that's great like hopefully you're curling 35 in a, in a month or in six weeks but don't encroach on my fucking space as I'm trying to bench 65, you know, on each side. No big deal. Um, but seriously, like, I don't know, man. Gym etiquette drives me fucking crazy. Uh, drives me absolutely up the wall. Um, just, uh, it's, it, it is forever a pain point. And it's also why I don't usually work out at night because there's just way too many people. Like, I do, I do basically go from, I usually do lifting, then running. And that's course. And then when I say running, I mean like you know I'm hitting the treadmill anywhere, and you know about about a 
11 minute to 10 minute mile. Like I look at Puff Johnson puking and I'm like, bro, I'm like three bills and ran, you know, two and a half miles last yesterday plus walked my dog for at least a half mile. So I, I don't want to hear it. Like I, I don't know how you're puking after that when I'm not like I, but anyways, um, so I had to run first, which is something I haven't done in a long, I can't remember the last time I did that, but it's actually not bad. Like I know it's, it's not necessarily the best for your muscles, but in my opinion, you know, it's a good way to not have to deal with basically being elbows to assholes in terms of lifting weights, which I hate. I absolutely hate. Like, I need my space, and I need sort of a less than active uh, gym area. I like to have only about three or four people working in there because it's just much easier to navigate, to do circuits, and do all that shit. So, the personal opinion, but who knows? All right, so I said I wasn't going to talk about the gym. I talked about the gym for a couple minutes. That's that's the show. We are going to talk tomorrow about the Milwaukee Bucks. We're going to do our Wisconsin Shotsky that we've been doing on Wednesday. We'll have a couple quick hitters, things that we're talking about. We'll see if anything else comes of today. Um, maybe some Justin Lewis news. Maybe something else that is in the in this stratosphere that's worth talking about. We'll see. All right, take care of yourself. Have a great Tuesday. We'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.